From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. The U.S. Supreme Court will hear a challenge to Texas's new abortion law starting on Monday. The law, which went into effect two months ago, bans almost all abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. So this week on the show, Julie Fine and Grummer Jeffers will talk to former Democratic State Senator Wendy Davis and current Republican State Senator Drew Springer, a co-author of the bill. Plus, Hall of Fame wide receiver Drew Pearson on the intersection of sports and politics. Before we get started, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics Podcast. And don't forget to go vote on Tuesday. There are eight proposed amendments to the Texas Constitution on the ballot, several bond issues, and a few city council and mayoral races across North Texas. For more information on all the municipal races, visit NBCDFW.com. Now back to the U.S. Supreme Court. There's not one but two issues facing the court this week. First, does the U.S. Department of Justice have the right to sue Texas to stop the abortion law from being enforced? And second, can private citizens sue anyone who helps a woman access an abortion? That's how the law is structured. The patient cannot be sued, but doctors, clinic staff, anyone who helps pay for the procedure, and even someone who helps drive a patient to the clinic could all be sued. Both the DOJ and abortion providers say the law violates Roe v. Wade, which stops states from banning abortion before fetal viability, which is about 23 weeks. The court declined to put the law on hold while the justices take up appeals. That means the law, known as Senate Bill 8, will likely remain in effect for several months while the court considers its fate. Wendy Davis represented the 10th State Senate District for six years, from 2009 to 2015, and lost to Republican Greg Abbott in the 2014 governor's race. Davis also ran for Congress last year, losing to Chip Roy in Texas's 21st congressional district. Davis gained prominence in 2013 when she held a 13-hour filibuster in the state Senate to temporarily block a restrictive Texas abortion law. She was successful, but only temporarily. The bill ultimately passed in a later special session. Here's Davis with Julian Gromer. Thanks so much for being here, Senator. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you guys. Let's begin with this, your reaction to watching all of this so far. I mean, this law has not been in effect since September the 1st, and except for a two-day reprieve when a federal district court put an injunction in place, which the Fifth Circuit immediately reversed, we have had um, almost no access to abortion care in Texas. And that's forced many people to go to other states. We're seeing huge waiting lists in Oklahoma um, and in Louisiana and in New Mexico. Many people though, even if resources are raised and provided for them to leave the state, don't have the opportunity to do so. They have children at home. The majority of people who have abortions do already have children. They have jobs that they cannot leave. And so many women are being forced into a situation of carrying a pregnancy that they did not intend and that they otherwise would terminate. Given the conservative composition of the Supreme Court, how do you think they will rule? You know, it's a, it's a really interesting question, Grummer. So tomorrow, of course, they're taking up these two Texas questions. And then on December the 1st, they're going to be taking up a question from Mississippi, which passed a 15-week abortion ban. They previously declined to intervene and stop the Texas law from taking effect while its constitutionality was being challenged. But the fact that they've agreed to take it up tomorrow 
on a very quick uh, timeline leads me to have the tiniest ray of hope that they may be doing so that they can look at the structure of this law. Because essentially what Texas has done is put enforcement authority in the hands of private vigilantes. And the question before the court is, can a state avoid review of the constitutionality of one of its laws by putting the enforcement power in the hands of private citizens versus the state? And of course, the question and the answer to that is incredibly important because it could be the case that this could be used in other instances as well. And the court understands it can have broad implications beyond abortion care in Texas and elsewhere. The Republican-controlled legislature passed this bill. Many say this is what their constituents want. What do you say to that? That's absolutely not the case, Julie. We've seen some statewide polling, of course, in the last few weeks. And almost 80% of Texans say they disagree with the fact that this law has no exception for rape and incest. And they also disagree with the use of individual vigilantes. I mean, essentially, uh, the cases that have been brought so far have come from out-of-state plaintiffs who have absolutely no interest in the pregnancy of the particular person who they're, they're suing about. And that's just wrong and creepy, honestly, in so many ways that a person in Arkansas would be able to sue uh, someone who's provided an abortion to my niece who was raped um, and somehow claiming an interest in the outcome of what she does with her own body. So a really important question. And Texans thus far have overwhelmingly said that they disagree with this law. Uh, in the moments we have left, uh, Senator, uh, what do you think is the most devastating impact of the law since it's gone into effect? I mean, it's hard to, to identify a single instance, Grammer, mm -hmm. but certainly it's the case that people who already have children, who are already struggling to support the children that they have, are being impacted by this law in a tremendously detrimental way. And it's also the case, of course, that people who have been victims of rape and incest have been denied the abortion care that they need. It's an extreme measure, and it's not in keeping, of course, with what most Texans and most Americans believe. Most Texans, most Americans want to see Roe v. Wade and its protections for safe legal abortion left in place. In Texas, we're certainly seeing what it would look like if Roe goes away. And I can tell you, it's a devastating impact on the ground. The people who are providing abortion care and who have had to turn away thousands of women who have come to them seeking that care say that every person they've talked to has cried um, and has felt hopeless and helpless in this moment where their autonomy over their own body has been so severely intruded upon. Senator Wendy Davis, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you both. One of the co-authors of Senate Bill 8 is State Senator Drew Springer of Munster. Springer won a special election against Shelley Luther to replace Pat Fallon in Senate District 30, which covers a dozen counties just west of DFW and parts of Denton and Collin County. Here's Springer with Julian Gromer.
Joining us now, a co-author of this bill, State Senator Drew Springer of Munster. Thanks so much for being with us, Senator. Good morning, guys. Great to be with y'all. First and foremost, Senator, do you think the high court will uphold the law? You know, what's going to be discussed is whether or not uh, they are going to allow the, the law to be stopped while it runs through the courts or whether they're going to allow the law to be in attack while the other side runs it through the courts. I think the courts will allow it to continue on. Senator, there was an effort during the special session to uh, change the bill because right now it doesn't allow exceptions for rape or incest. Why not have exceptions for rape or incest? Well, one, it wasn't put on the call. Uh, two, I agree with the, what the governor said on that is, you know, we're going to prosecute uh, those crimes. Uh, we did not remove anything that's sort of that uh, from conception uh, to the six or eight weeks when the heartbeat is detected. And uh, I think that's totally reasonable to be, to be able to do it from that uh, perspective. If there is a victim of rape or incest and they do want to terminate their pregnancy and they're not able to, what do you say to them? Well, you know, again, they have that same early period uh, after rape. They've got, uh, you know, six to eight weeks to be able to determine that if, if that's the choice they want to make it at that point. Uh, you know, after that, it's a viable life um, as far as a heartbeat being detected and uh, one that we're going to continue to protect. You know, critics of the bill point out that a lot of women don't realize that they're pregnant uh, before six weeks. But I, I take your point. Let's talk about the provision in the law that essentially allows anyone to sue a person they believe assisted in someone getting an abortion after that six-week time frame. Why is this provision necessary? You know, we're not going to penalize the woman. Uh, we're going to penalize those that uh, uh, perform these procedures, those that facilitate uh, those. And I think that, you know, it strikes the right balance in being able to do that. It also strikes the right balance rather than the governor, government being the actor that would be sued or go after this, that we leave it to, to normal citizens. Uh, we do that in Medicaid fraud cases right now. Citizens can sue under that. And then additionally with that, we had Dallas County, Bear County, and Fort Bend County, and several other DAs saying no matter if Texas passed any new pro-life measures, they were not going to enforce them. And so we put a mechanism in place that allows these laws to stand. Are you worried, Senator, that this sort of framework, this sort of provision in the law could be applied to other areas, maybe not in Texas, but say if a state wanted uh, to pass an anti-gun law? you know, put a bounty hunter provision in that law. Are you worried that this could spiral uh, out of control? Well, look, I think the court's going to look at uh, this and they're going to determine whether or not those stop or, or can continue on. I think they would look at those uh, in, in those manners whatsoever. And, and, and as I said, you know, Texas already has it under uh, the Medicaid fraud side and other things. The federal government has the same uh, deals when it comes to uh, consumer fraud that citizens can bring those lawsuits up and, and they're not challenged that away. So uh, I think we'll, we'll uh, see if this is a path that happens in additional states. I know in the pro-life perspective, numerous other states have reached out to Senator Hughes, uh, Candy Noble and the other authors to say, how can we do these in our state? You've seen different laws make their way through the legislature. This seems to be the strictest when it comes to abortion. Do you think you will see other laws coming up in following sessions? You know, I think that there's definitely chances. As we look at and say, what's our best way to protect life? 
uh, one of the things that I think we'll hear in December, at least when the court hears the Mississippi case that actually does challenge uh, Roe v. Wade uh, and to potentially overturn that, is Angela Paxton, the Senate, and, and all of the House. We passed a trigger bill that means if uh, the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, all abortions would be illegal in Texas at that time. State Senator Drew Springer, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great Sunday. The court starts hearing arguments on Monday, and Julie Fine will be there. Check in with NBC5 on TV and on our digital platforms for the latest from Washington. There's no smooth pivot here, so let's just completely change directions. An exciting guest on Lone Star Politics this week as we hear from former Dallas Cowboys wide receiver and Pro Football Hall of Fame member Drew Pearson. Pearson, who was inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, knows what's going on in the world outside of the NFL and discusses the intersection of sports and politics. Plus, with the Cowboys and Vikings facing off on NBC's Sunday Night Football, he revisits a catch you may have heard of that took place against Minnesota in 1975. Well, this is a big day for us at Lone Star Politics. We have Hall of Famer Drew Pearson here. Drew, we're so excited. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to uh, uh, talking some politics. Yeah, <laughs> politics, sports. And let me just say how how great it is to be able to say Hall of Famer Drew Pearson, my friend, because it's long overdue. Hey, Groman, let me tell you how great it is to hear that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> to hear you say it. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. All right. It's and before awesome. we get to the politics part, Drew, your speech at the Hall of Fame, it was just, it was inspirational. It was wonderful. I loved every second. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I kind of wrote it myself. They offered to uh, speech writers to help us write a speech and all that. I said, man, come on, man. I waited 38 years. I don't want no speechwriter to be saying what I need to say. Right. So uh, I wrote it myself. The first draft, we had to present the draft, first draft to the hall. And they slashed it up. They said it was too long, too long and all that. So what I did was I presented them a new draft just before my presentation where they can put it on the prompter. They couldn't cut it out or anything. So uh, that's why go. it went good. But, I'm going to uh, use that with the producers at work. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Drew, you know, you, you kind of talked a little bit. I mean, you know, there is this intersection now of politics and sports. Oh, absolutely. And it's uh, politics actually has filtered into sports. You know, we for years try to keep politics out of sports, you know, but it seems to be meshing together, you know, now. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's a bad thing. It's a good thing because these current players need to know what's going on in the world of politics. And politicians need to know what's going on in the world of sports. So I think it's a good marriage between the two. So talk about, you know, when you came along, there's always been some sort of politics, right? Especially when you're dealing with a struggle, whether it be civil rights or, or something else. But it, is it much different now, you think, uh, than it was when, when you were playing? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's different. You know, everybody had their candidates. They support it. They had their opinions about things. But a lot of that was left and kept in the locker room. Right. You know, now with the Internet and everything, you got knowledge and you information and uh, you're more involved. I think the players are more involved. I know me as a person, individual, I'm more involved in politics because there's more access 
to the political world now than there had been, you know, when I was coming through. So it, it's it's a little different now. And I think the players still try to stay out of that, you know? Right. You know, a lot of times when I was playing, uh, uh, people that, uh, candidates running for mayor would say, hey, why don't you support me or this candidate support? And you couldn't do that, you know, because you didn't want to uh, dissect your fan base, you know? You right. say, well, Drew must be in a Republican. He's, you know, supporting this guy or he's a Democrat. He's just supporting this guy. So, you know, when I was coming through, we kind of stayed out of politics. But now I think it's filtering the sports and uh, politics are filtering together. And uh, that's not a bad thing, like I said. Changes to the game, too. I mean, college players now, compensation. I mean, how much of a difference do you think that makes? Makes a big difference. I don't I don't really like it. You know, I'm disappointed. I have been for a long time in the NCAA because they've had every opportunity to make this an equal situation. There's no equality in this situation with the nils and some of the players getting money and the other players not. You know, like the young man from South Lake Carroll, you know, he's at Ohio State. You know, he's got uh, a couple million dollars worth of deals done. He's got a car deal. But what about that offensive lineman that's blocking for him? You know, he has no deal, you know, because he's a lineman. You know, everybody wants to associate it with the big name guys, and they're usually the position players like quarterbacks. So I don't like the uh, the uh, the way it's set up. The NCAA could have set it up where it's equal across the board, where everybody's making the same amount of money. And that's all the players ever wanted. They didn't want one guy to be making more than the next guy. You know, that's for pro football. That's what pro football is all about. You know, when you become a professional, you deal with that. But you know, but they should have made it equal for everybody. And I think because they didn't, they're going to have problems with that down the road. Drew, we're going to have to continue with you on the podcast as there's so much more to say. But before we let you go, on Cowboys Sunday, they're on NBC tonight. Who's winning? Oh, the Cowboys are going to beat the Vikings. We won't need a Hail Mary to do it. Well, let me let me just say, Drew, I, I, I have to ask you this because I asked Roger Staubach this uh Every time I see him on behalf of the Viking fans, December 28, 1975, the Hail Mary, which you helped, you know, bring into the yeah. Lex- now. And Gromer was about 3.30 in the afternoon when that happened. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the Viking fans are, are want to know, they want me to ask you, are you ready to admit that you kind of pushed off on Nate right there? How could I admit it when I didn't do it, okay? <laughs> we're just playing football. There, there wasn't golf or tennis out there. It's in a highly intensified emotional situation in a playoff game on national TV, in a foreign stadium where they're all booing you and rooting against you, and you just go make a play. You know, I did the swim move to get inside, and doing that, I made contact with Nate Wright, but there was no deliberate push. I'm sorry he fell down. that's his fault okay don't blame me blame him yeah every time every time there's a cowboys vikings game i'm sure somebody thinks about that day oh man they do it a lot more than that okay everywhere i go a lot of people still bring it up whether they're a cowboy fan or a viking fan and you wouldn't believe how many viking fans are out there that are still upset about that it's about 45 years ago 
that that <laughs> happened, but they're still upset about it. I, I got to ask you, though, about the Hail Mary, and we're welcome into our podcast now. I, that's something, you know, I'm from Buffalo, New York, and I knew about that. Everybody still uses that word. They're going to throw the Hail Mary. I mean, knowing you have a part in that. Legally, I should say, Gromer, yeah. there was no push. No push. <laughs> Touchdown, Dallas. <laughs> uh, and knowing you have a part of that, what is that like? No, oh, it's pretty cool. It really is. You know, to be to come into the NFL as an undrafted free agent, where you're just begging for an opportunity. Your first year salary is fourteen thousand five hundred dollars. You sign for a hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, that's your signing bonus. And then you have success. And now you're associated with one of the most iconic plays in NFL history and certainly the most uh, uh, iconic play in Dallas Cowboy history. And your your quarterback is Roger Staubach that you're associated with with this play. You know, he's a devout Catholic. That's why they call it the Hail Mary. Yeah. If they would ask me what happened. I would have said, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. I'm a Baptist from New Jersey. You know? <laughs> so that's how ironic the Hail Mary is. You got a Catholic from Cincinnati, an only child, going to a Baptist from New Jersey, one of seven kids, okay? And right. that's how it all connects. That's what sports does. It brings people like that together. But we talk about the Hail Mary all the time. It's never forgotten. And like, like Julie said, you hear it on TV all the time. Basketball, he made the game-winning shot. He hit a Hail Mary. The home run, he hit a Hail Mary. The game-winning catch, it's a Hail Mary. Even in politics, I heard when the candidate's running for office, he's going to need a Hail Mary to win. <laughs> you know? So it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's all good to be associated with that uh, type of play, also to be associated with uh, Roger Staubach as the uh, uh, the one that threw that pass to me. Yeah, you, were, you guys were underdogs in that game, actually. That was a good Vikings team. Uh, but you've been an underdog kind of your your whole career, right? And, and you uh, undrafted, right? And, right? and all of that. But talk about anybody who watched Drew Pearson, right? Knew that you were one of the greatest wide receivers, especially in your era. What was it like when you line up against another team? That's something you can control. Competition is something you can control. You can't control, though, the Hall of Fame process and what people who vote and writers think. Talk about how you sort of were able to endure all of that and, and hold on and keep your faith going, knowing that you you deserved it, but you couldn't really do anything about it. Yeah. And you, you felt you deserved it. You couldn't really right. even say anything about it, you know? Yeah. And even when you kept getting passed over, you couldn't say anything negative about it. You yeah. know, you couldn't criticize the guys that are going in because maybe you're going to go in one day and be in that class with those guys. You couldn't criticize the Hall of Fame. You know, I, I, I know there's biases and politics involved in the voting process. Even the Hall of Fame voting, the selection committee voters will admit that. OK, yeah. they admit that they have allegiances, you know, Sal Palantonio up in uh, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, the ESPN guy. All he cares about is. The Philadelphia Eagle players, you know, right. Rick Gosselin down here in Dallas. What is he doing? And and Shireen Williams, they're pushing Cowboys. So there's politics and biases involved in it, but you still can't criticize the process. I waited 20, 29 years to get in the Dallas Cowboy ring of honor. So I learned how to wait, you know, and then you add 
you know, the total of 38 years for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, you just be patient. That is that is the ultimate, you know? You be patient with that and hope that one day they'll correct it and get it right. And and they did. And and the and the thing about it, guys, it comes at a good time for Drew Pearson. You know, God knows when to bring it on, you know? Yeah. He knows when Drew Pearson needs this push in his life. You know, I'm 70 years old. Look at y'all got me on the show. I've been around Dallas forever, you know? I didn't, you didn't get me on until I got in the Hall of Fame, you know, so, oh, that's good, you know, so I'm getting a lot of opportunities at my age and having been out of the game for so long, simply because now I'm in the Hall of Fame and this is something new, and uh, now it's got my name and everything out there, and you walk around with one of these, and then you show off that jacket, it's a little wrinkled because I wore it to the club last night, but uh, <laughs> other than that, it's all good. <laughs> You're welcome on our show anytime. In fact, you know what I'm thinking, Gromer? Next time you're gone, don't you think that Drew would be a great fill-in? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Would you oh, be yeah, my that'd co-host be cool. if Gromer was gone? Pardon me? Would you be my co-host if Gromer was oh, gone? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Get gone, Gromer. Get gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Drew, we're going to let you go. We so appreciate your time. I really, this is real exciting for me. I'm a big football fan. I've always seen you in the station. So this is a real treat for me. And so Drew, thank she, you for doing it. She loves her bills. Let me tell you. I know. I'm she hearing that. I'm Buffalo hearing Buffalo. it. I, I tell you what, how about the Cowboys and the Bills in Super Bowl 56, okay? Well, I went to a Bills-Cowboys Super Bowl once. It was called yeah. Super Bowl 27 in Pasadena. I yeah. was there. Do you think the Bills can go, Drew? Yeah, they got a good team. They, you know, they were close. They were kind of knocking on the door last year. You know, Bum Phillips said we knocked on the door this year. We're going to kick it in. Yeah. I think they're going to kick that door in as they're making, you know, as they continue to make progress through the season. They got one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And so plus if, they got Cole Beasley from Dallas. Hey. So <laughs> if the Bills, um, Dallas Cowboys play in the Super Bowl, I'm guessing you're going to go. But if you don't go, let's all watch together. Okay, you got it. Have a nice Super Bowl watching party. I would love right. that. I drew Pearson. Sure I bring my. I make sure I bring my rings. Please and do. my jacket. <laughs> keep that. Keep that jacket clean, Drew. Keep that. I will, All right, Drew. Thanks All right, so much. Thank you guys for having me. Be All safe, right. y'all. It sounds like Gromer may need to watch his back in that host chair. Thanks to Wendy Davis, State Senator Drew Springer, and Drew Pearson for joining us this week. Stay up to date with everything Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.